Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on your line as he does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Good evening, Neil. Happy to be here, and even more so tonight because it's uh, the first of our four podcasts we've done where I've, I've turned up without nursing a, a killer hangover. So I'm feeling fresh <laughs> and um, excited to you know, really dive deep into some of these topics. It's uh, fantastic to hear, mate. We should get your A game tonight. Not that we haven't had it in the past, but I'm sure you'll be at the top of your game. Before we jump into it, I'd just like to again thank everybody uh, for downloading the podcast, especially those who have given us a rating on iTunes. We implore everybody to please do that if you get an opportunity. It really helps us spread the podcast. So please jump on Apple iTunes, give give us a five-star rating and a review. Um, We would really appreciate that. So we'll jump right into it, Ben. Uh, Last week we did speak about the MVP race and we both agreed that it was probably down to a three-horse race in Jokic, LeBron, and uh, Joel Embiid, but over the last week, there's been someone else who's jumped into the conversation, and that's Steph Curry. So we'll just run through his numbers at the moment. He's averaging 30 points a game, 5.5 rebounds, 5.9 assists, shooting 49-43-93 splits. Golden State are 14-12, and 12, or 14-13 today after a loss, sorry, uh, to Brooklyn. They're 8th in the West. More importantly, over his last eight games, Steph is averaging 35.3 points a game, shooting 56% from the field and 52% from three on 12 attempts, which is absolutely extraordinary. To put that into perspective, the year that Steph was a unanimous MVP and the only unanimous MVP in the history of the league, he was at 30 points a game, 5.4 rebounds, 6.7 assists, shooting 50, 45 and 90 splits. Um, And importantly, Golden State did set a record that year going 73 and 9 but as you can see there, there's not a huge amount of difference between the stats that uh, Steph is putting up. How close to this MVP discussion do you think he is, Caddy? Yeah, well, we, we touched on it last week and we sort of outlined that there was probably three guys out in front, but we'd expect it to be a run at some point from a number of the you know outside contenders after that. And I think it is Steph that's put his hand up certainly this week and you've gone through the numbers and, and he's just his record through February so far, it's just been incredible. So just in February alone, he's averaging 37.8 points and 57% from the field, 51% from three. So he's just gone absolutely crazy. And it's so exciting to watch him, you know, really get back to that type of form that, you know, where he really did launch himself five or six years ago and, and really changed the way that the game was played. And he's he's getting back to that type of level, albeit with, um you know, more limited help around him. And that's probably more the impressive thing for me is, you know, he's certainly in a diminished lineup with the one that the Warriors are, are putting out there at the moment. And he, he's, he's, when you're watching him play, there's just he's getting smothered inside the half court, two blokes going to him at the majority of the time. And he's really having to change the way he goes about it. He's, I think he's got a little bit more physical and he's taking it inside the paint into the line a little bit more, taking on more contact, which is um, what he's sort of had to do to, to kind of break through. And as I said, he does have you know a roster around him that certainly doesn't have the the all-star cast that he's accustomed to, and he's been able to navigate through that really well this season, obviously coming off the back of a missed year last year. So I think he has put himself certainly right in the middle of the race, and uh, whether he can sustain this form you know, for a longer period of time is, is to be seen. But the way he's going, you'd have to put him up there. One of the things I did see, one of the stats during the week, is um, just the leaders in total field goals made this season, and, and he's number one in that leading Nikola Vukovic, Nikola Jokic, and Giannis and Luka Doncic. So he's number one in that, but he's also number one out of that group in effective field goal percentage at 61.3. So he's not only the most prolific, he's also the most efficient, which really puts him in um, elite company there. So uh, look, he's, he's, he's announced himself as a contender, and he's really going to have to try and continue that form 
as we go through to, to sort of stay there because we, we haven't really seen a drop-off from those other three guys we mentioned last week. They're still doing what they're doing, but um, Steph's certainly elevated himself. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You did mention there he hasn't got quite the same roster that he had, you know, going back those years when he did win the MVP, and there's no doubt about that. Obviously losing Clay to injury right throughout the year. Bogus no longer there. You know, Juan Toscano-Anderson probably wasn't going to be averaging too many minutes back in the in the glory days of the Golden State Warriors, and he's starting from at the moment due to some injuries. So I think think at the start of the year, once Clay went down and we saw the way the Warriors started, I think a lot of people probably wrote him off as a chance in a very strong West. So to have him, albeit only eight at the moment, but he's at Denver a seventh and Golden State a eighth. So myself and you both agreed last week, we had Jokic on top of the MVP discussion. That's probably changed over the last week or so, but Jokic is right there. So I think there's no reason why Steph isn't right in the conversation. But I mentioned last week in the same in regards to, to Giannis, it's going to be really difficult for guys to vote for, for Steph or Giannis uh, to win a third MVP because you're talking really rarefied air there. When, when somebody's a three-time MVP, you know, all of a sudden they're into discussion for a top 10 player of all time. So as much as I love Steph and, and, and the year he's having is extraordinary given the attention that the defense is putting on him, I think he's going to find it pretty difficult to edge himself uh, right into the conversation, I feel, just because of that and the fact that I think, you know, Russell Westbrook did win it a few years ago when OKC were bottom sort of two or three in that playoff picture. I think to win it now, you'd probably have to at least finish in the top four, and I think Golden State are probably going to be right up against it uh, to get in that top four in the West. Do you think he could win it without Golden State reaching those levels? Oh, look, probably not. As you said, unless he has a just a, continues on and probably has to average 35 points, he is coming second in scoring at the moment, just behind Bradley Beal. So that that's not not a possibility. But um, look, I'd probably be, after watching Golden State play today against Brooklyn, I'm probably half-class empty around you know, their ability to maintain and, and probably see out a playoff spot this year, which I think will make it uh, really difficult for him. But I, look, I just love the whole story around Steph and the fact that he's, his career and the career numbers that he's putting together, they just, they're just absolutely incredible. And another big one I saw this week is, when he dropped the 10 three-pointers a couple of games back against Orlando on the way to 40 points, it was the 17th time in his career that he'd shot 10 three-pointers in a game, and that is more than the next five players on that list combined who have only taken it, uh, got there 16 times. So yeah. Second, on the, list, second on, on the list, sorry to cut you off, second on the list is Clay Thompson, his teammate, obviously, who's only got five. Yeah, it's just outstanding. So, look, in terms of you know all-time numbers, he's going to be stacking up with the best of them, and, and he's just on another planet sometimes. But to go back to the MVP conversation, a lot's going to have to go right for him, and, and that would probably include Golden State, you know, probably being a top four seed in the West, which I, I can't see happening. No, neither can I, which is unfortunate because he's certainly putting up MVP caliber-type numbers. So we'll, we'll see how Golden State do go, obviously, over the remainder of the season, whether Steph can really uh, inch himself into that MVP discussion. So moving on to the next subject, we'll now talk about who do you think is a more uh, likely playoff team, San Antonio or the rising Sacramento Kings? We'll just go through their records at the moment. San Antonio six, sit sixth in the West with a 15-11 and 11 record, uh, a more impressive 8-3 and three on the road, and Sacramento at 12-13, and 13, which that makes them 10th in the West. How do you see this, Ben? Oh, look, I think I'd be leaning in favour of San Antonio still at the moment, and um you know, we talk about Seth Curry continuing to perform against the odds. Well, that's exactly what San Antonio continue to do year in and year out. And what they've been able to continue to achieve, you know, albeit last year, they, they did have the dip. Outside of that, they've just been a regular playoff team over 20 plus years. 
Um, they've just continued to be the most professionally put together organisation and, and even the roster. And they just continue to bring in young players who, who are able to compete at the level and and can develop their stars along the way. They look we look at other teams who often sacrifice the youth and, and bring in veteran help and, and you know that it doesn't allow the young players to get good minutes in. But what Popovich does in San Antonio, yes, he does have the veteran help, really savvy veterans on the roster, but he gets he gets the young players in, gets them minutes get some time on the court to learn and make mistakes, and then they're only going to be better off for it. And this year we've seen Colton Johnson, a rookie, um, come through, and you know, he's starting for the Spurs this year, averaging 30 minutes a game, which is incredible. And it just allows you know Paddy Mills to continue to play his role off the bench and Rudy Gay and these type of guys, and it just continuously allow the development of, of the young players like DeJounte Murray. And we haven't seen a lot of Derek White this year, but he's another one that I'm sure will get more minutes as the season goes on. So... I just love what San Antonio continue to put together and the Sacramento Kings. I mean, well, they, they've been on a bit of a tear of late, but, um, you know, they've still got to prove it over any consistency of more than, you know, what they've put together, 10 pretty solid games at the moment. But let's, let's say for 20 or 30 games, let alone for 20, 20 or 30 years. So I'd be um, back in the Spurs to be able to do that. In terms of the, the remaining schedule, it's really hard to sort of see that out because the NBA have only released a, a schedule all the way through to the end of March. But just on the on the schedule as it currently sits, the San Antonio Spurs have the easiest upcoming schedule, uh, the next 11 games on their roster. So they're, they're ranked, they're saying they've got a 44% schedule coming up, and that's 30th in the league, and Sacramento a 12 at uh, 51%. So... Of the next 11 games, the only two really difficult games they've got coming up, the San Antonio Spurs are the Brooklyn Nets and the Indiana Pacers. They then um, have a whole lot of games against the sides that have got an under 500 record at the moment, albeit they are on the road for a couple of these games. Um, they've just started a six-game road trip as we speak. But the Spurs, I think, can, can really maintain their spot in the eight. As I said, 15 and 11, they've already got a four-game cushion in the um, in the win column on Sacramento, so that's going to be pretty hard to, to overcome, I would have thought. Yeah, I do agree with that. You mentioned there how good the, the front office at San Antonio have been, and they're probably the most cohesive front office, maybe even in, in, in team sports there. You know, Popovich has been in charge for so long. RC Buford's, you know, been in the front office for as long as Pop has been there, I believe. So really cohesive. It starts at the top, so so that certainly helps. You mentioned there Calvin Johnson. Well, he hardly even played last year. He, he did it. He did play in the bubble, and then um, he, he's taken a massive step up this year. Uh, Dejounte Murray too, career highs in you know points, rebounds, and assists. And there was there was a big question mark on him coming out of the draft whether he was just more an athlete and more so maybe a combo guard. But he's taken on that responsibility as the point guard, and to be averaging seven assists and less than two turnovers is is a real feather in his cap. Because as I said, there were some doubts about whether he could be a a starting caliber point guard in the NBA, and I think he's proven that he certainly is. He he does need to improve his shooting, but he's an elite defender as well. He had eight, eight steals recently, so you can't be loose with your handle around Dejounte Murray. He's going to pick your pocket. There's been a big change too uh, recently with Lamarcus Aldridge being out with injury, and, and Aldridge has probably struggled a bit this year. He's obviously got the runs on the board over a really uh, distinguished career, but. Podal, Jakob Podal has taken over the starting uh, spot over the last five games, and they've got a four-on-one four record in that time. And he's averaging close to a double-double since he started and almost three blocks a game. So he's been a real a real fill-up for them. So you talk about the Sacramento Kings, and as you mentioned, they've been on a bit of a hot streak over the last 10 games. They're seven and three, and that's really come on the back of De'Aaron Fox playing some really, really extraordinary basketball. He's averaging 28.9 points a game and 8.3 assists in his last 11 games. So it seems to be that 
when De'Aaron Fox is playing at an extraordinarily high level, that obviously the Sacramento Kings uh, turn into a very, very good side and an almost a playoff-worthy side. But unfortunately, there's been a couple of players for Sacramento that haven't quite lived up to to what you'd hope. Buddy Heald being one of those who had a really good season last year, Buddy Heald. He was he averaged close to 20 points a game and was shooting the three ball at close to 40%. This year, he's down to 16 points a game. He's, he's averaging... 35 minutes a game, which is up from last year, but he's only shooting the ball at 37% from the field, um, 37% from three as well. But he's really struggled. Um, he had, had a bit of a run-in with uh, Luke Walton as well uh, in the off-season, so he hasn't quite lived up to what, what you would hope. Marvin Bagley, too, he's a big one. So he, he was a high draft pick, uh, pick two in, in the Luka Doncic draft. We saw early in the season, he, he, his father came out on Twitter and, and had a crack at the Sacramento saying that he, they wanted, he wanted them to trade him. He's down to 12.5 points a game, so that's his lowest of his career, only shooting 47% from the field, which is low for a big man. So they've certainly got their issues with some of their sort of high-priced draft picks at the moment, but De'Aaron Fox is really, really playing some good basketball for them. But I, I reckon until they get healed and Bagley playing at the level they can, I can't really see them pushing for a playoff spot. Yeah, look, and the issue they I think they had with their roster going into this season, it's, they let effectively let Bogdan Bogdanovich walk in the end, and they didn't really recover any asset for that, which I think sort of has sort of stagnated the roster in a sense. Albeit, you know, they're getting great return out of, as we mentioned last uh, last year, their first round pick Tyrese Halliburton. So they are getting some return there, but it would have been great to see them turn that Bogdanovich asset into into something purposeful for them to move forward into this year and. You know, the reliance now on De'Aaron Fox to become almost an all-star caliber player um, this early in his career. I think it's one step too far this year for the Sacramento Kings to really force a playoff spot. I look at the San Antonio Spurs and the veterans as well that you mentioned, DeMar DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge. If they all stand, stay fit and get, you know, continue that support around their young guys, I think they've got more of a chance to, to hang in there in the West. I think pushing out further for the Spurs, they're a really interesting case. I know we're not talking about them so much um, in terms of the playoff picture for this year, but looking at them longer term, what they do after this season will be really interesting once DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, Rudy Gay and Paddy Mills all come off the books. So whether any of those guys get extensions or they get traded for an asset as the season um, unfolds, I'll be really interested to see how the Spurs play this out. Um, they've obviously got all the young blokes locked up to John T. Murray and Derek White for, for longer term and their young rookie players, but those veteran guys are out of contract and it'll be interesting to see whether they decide to flip them mid-season for, for another young asset or they see them out and let them walk as free agents. Yeah, no doubt DeMar DeRozan's the interesting one. He's having an outstanding year. He's probably a borderline all-star. We didn't really mention him, mention him too much last week, but averaging 20 points a game, 6.8 rebounds and 5.1 assists, shooting 49-33, 89 splits, 89% being a career high for him from, from free throws and 22.2 PER, which is actually the second highest of his career, which in, in your 11th season in your career, that, that, that's an outstanding effort for DeRozan. So as you said, it's going to be interesting to see whether they do extend him or what they do with him. I think Aldridge is the one that they could potentially look to move, you know, maybe a side looking for some veteran help in the middle, maybe a Boston or or someone like that. Maybe they might be willing to give up a, a late first round or even a second round pick. I think they'd probably take anything for Aldridge at the moment because, as I said, uh, Podal's come into that starting lineup and, and has done a pretty good job for them. So I think they could afford to part with Aldridge. So it'll be interesting to see if they do do that. Uh, moving on to our next subject here, we'll talk about who has the brightest future between OKC and Minnesota. What do you reckon about that one, Caddy? 
Yeah, look, both teams on sitting at the bottom of the West at the moment. They're the bottom two sides there, Oklahoma City, 10 and 15, Minnesota, 6 and 20. So, look, I'm looking at that. and On face value, you've got to be more disappointed with Minnesota Timberwolves at the moment, um, albeit they, you know, their best player, Carl Anthony Towns, has had an absolute shocking year um, with all the COVID difficulties, not only at the end of last year with his with his family, but also then catching the, the disease himself and missing so much of this season. But, you know, the development within their team, I'd, you know, you'd have to be disappointed that they haven't been able to really figure out a path forward with, you know, D'Angelo Russell coming in, uh, their first-round pick, Anthony Edwards, and then, you know, obviously Ricky Rubio coming back in on a, on a pretty sizable two-year contract. So, you know, they're, they're disappointing. And in terms of an upside for them, you've got to be looking at, unless Anthony Edwards becomes a, an absolute all-star, I'm quite concerned about how they're going to push forward, whether it's with this Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell fit. Now, they basically, Carl Anthony Towns would have had to have given the go-ahead for that trade to happen for to bring Russell in at the expense of Wiccans last year. But it just hasn't translated to anything positive, really, on the basketball court at this stage. And, and again, you know, we have to give them a, a bit of a pass based on, on the games missed, particularly for Carl Anthony Towns this year. But to be sitting so far down the bottom of the West is quite disappointing. And, and more concerning, really, is the fact that they don't even own their their first round pick at the end of this year, which goes to the Golden State if it doesn't fall inside the top three. So they'll be absolutely petrified of just the lottery odds falling against them and they and that pick gets conveyed to Golden State this year because as, we, as we've all been hearing and reading about, the draft looks stacked uh, going into this season. So to, admit, to miss out on that, when likely they're going to be a bottom three side and if the lottery balls fall that they have to hand that pick over to Golden State this year, uh, that'd be an absolute nightmare for the Timberwolves and really affect any big rebuild plans that they have. If the pick doesn't fall this year and it does land in the top three and they keep it, well, the pick the following year gets given to Golden State as an unconditional first-round pick. So they're in a bit of trouble from that point of view anyway, albeit if they can land a first-round pick in the top three this year, then the odds are that they're going to get a, a franchise-changing player is what we're hearing at the moment. So the Oklahoma City Thunder, on the other hand, you know, they've been the overachievers really the last two seasons and they've really come back to the mean just the last few uh, weeks here in the NBA where they had started the season uh, pretty well. They've now lost three in a row, four of six. Um, they're four and six in their last 10 games. So that's probably where we more expected them to be. Albeit moving forward, you've, you're looking at this team as a, as a really a blank canvas. You know, they've got their, their young stud so far and Shea Gilgis Alexander, who you nominated as an all-star selection a couple of weeks back. So they're really building um, the team around him at the moment and just their absolute bevy of first round picks that they have stashed away. Um, in you know not just next year but basically for the next six years so they've, they've they've got a lot of opportunities to take those picks either to the draft or trade them for other assets as they go through so I'd be suggesting I'd be prefer to be in the shoes of the Oklahoma City Thunder at the moment having that almost blank canvas moving forward and the draft assets rather than sort of having to you know putting all my chips into hoping that Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards can sort of fit together. Yeah, I, I do agree with you there. It's interesting because usually you'd say you would side with the team who's got who's got the better player, and there's no doubt Carl Anthony Towns is the best player out of any of these two rosters. And I think it was two years ago, maybe when they surveyed the GMs, and and he was nominated as the one player that the GMs would like to build their franchise around. But as you mentioned there, that that D'Angelo Russell uh, trade is looking really disastrous for him. He still owed another sixty million over the over two more years. They gave up the, those first round draft picks. You mentioned the fact that it's top three protected this year and unprotected if it doesn't convey this year. So either way, you think they're going to be giving up a, a reasonably good draft pick there to Golden State. 
They've also got Malik Beasley there. He's actually had a pretty good season so far, but he's got those gun-related charges. I haven't heard too much about what's going on with those, but you'd expect him to get a suspension at some stage. Anthony Edwards, obviously the number one pick. Now, he, sh- he started to show what, what he can do over the last few games since he's been inserted into that starting lineup. But he's by no means a, a surefire all-star type player. So there's certainly a lot of question marks around Carl Anthony Towns there, who, who, as I mentioned, there's no doubt he's a star. But, you know, you have to be able to build some other really good players around your stars to be a successful team. OKC, as you mentioned there, they've got Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who, yeah, I did nominate as an all-star. So he's... He's either an all-star or a borderline all-star player, and they've just got a mountain of draft picks coming their way, as you said, over the next few years. So it'll be interesting to see what they do do with those draft picks, whether they just hoard them all and make the selections or whether they package them up and maybe look to get into a Bradley Beal or one of those other all-stars that maybe look to get out of their homes at the moment. So they can certainly get into any any trade scenario there if one of those stars do become available. They've also got Al Horford, who's got $52 million and two years left on his contract. The last year only got $14.5 million of that uh, guaranteed. So maybe in this off-season they could look to, to get rid of him and get some more draft picks. And the same with George Hill as well. You, you wouldn't think he'd be long for this team. There's not much point in them holding on to an experienced player like George Hill, but I'm sure there's a number of teams, number of playoff teams that would be interested in getting in the hands of George Hill to be their backup point guard. So they've got some avenues there to even add to their to their treasure trove of draft picks. So going forward as well, they've got Lou Dort, who's got two more seasons under contract at under $2 million per season. So that that's a bargain contract there. So, so they do have a lot of upside going forward. So that's why I would lean towards OKC. Okay, so one of the biggest stories we saw during the week was uh, Derek Rose being traded to the New York Knicks for Dennis Smith and a 2021 second-round pick. of That's actually Charlotte's second-round pick. What did you make of that trade, Caddy? Uh, look, it's an interesting one for the Knicks who you know continue to bring in uh, veteran players, and you just hope it's not at the expense of some of the developing young talent that we have seen. And the, the one that comes to mind is uh, Emmanuel Quickly, who you who you did um, give a big shout-out to last week when we were talking about the Rookie of the Year. He's a guy that's really shown some some great of, offensive uh, punch. And so you, you, that would be my only query around Derek Rose coming in and ensuring that he's not sort of taking any of that those development minutes away from from Quickly, who does look like they've found a player there to you know really pair with RJ Barrett and Mitch Robinson in particular uh, moving forward. You know, we obviously know that there's a really strong history with um, Tom Thibodeau and Derek Rose, obviously from the Chicago Bulls days. He also followed him to Minnesota there for a period, and now he's come back under Tom's wing at New York and, and Derek coming back to New York also for the second time. So, look, I think the biggest thing for New York when they when they look to make this trade is probably around um, just their offensive numbers. Like, their defence this year has been the thing that's really – um, struck everyone. They're third out of 30 teams this year with a defensive rating of 108. So that's an area where Thibodeau's really been able to make his mark. And we know historically he's been a great defensive coach. So he's been able to get that right and get the players to buy in at the defensive end really consistently all season. However, at the offensive end, where the Knicks have been, um, you know, generally a, a reasonably score, a good scoring team in the past, they're, they're struggling at 24th out of the 30 teams this year. So that's where I look at maybe they're looking at Derrick Rose just to give them some extra offensive help particularly off the bench, to come in and, and help drive that second unit. So providing that's his role, and he, as I said, he's not going to sort of you know stop any of that development into their young players, um, whether it, he takes some minutes off Alfred Payton, yep, absolutely no problems. But it's where he comes in and maybe takes some time from quickly. And even, you know, Frank Nicotina does get back into this um, roster or lineup at, at some stage. He's, he's currently not 
not playing at the moment, but he's a guy that, you know, you still hope there's some some hope there for him to become a, an NBA player. But Derek Rose has come straight out of the blocks with the Knicks in his three games. He scored 14 points on debut three games back and then 14 points and 16 points. So he has been able to deliver what I think that the Knicks were looking for, which, which was some extra offensive punch. And, you know, they're, they're a legitimate chance to to compete for an, an East playoff spot, whether that's probably more in the, the play-in tournament that we're talking in the 7, 8, 9, 10 seed. They're right in that mix at the moment, currently seventh with a 13 and 15 record. So, you know, for New York fans, they've got to be optimistic that this year where they've put themselves in a position to, to play some playoff basketball, then they might as well really go for it. As we discussed um, a couple of weeks back, the lottery balls haven't really gone in their favour uh, the last couple of years, and they've been, you know, sort of lucked out a couple of times. So, you know, to be able to put themselves more in a playoff uh, picture, and, and as we said, we have seen some development some, from some of their young players this year. You know, Derek Rose might be, you know, a, a good guy to have around to, and help push them all the way through to the end of the season. Yeah, there's no doubt he's going to help in that, help them offensively, and, and that's obviously an area, as you mentioned there, that they've really struggled. There's been a heavy reliance on Julius Randle, who's had an all-star caliber season. You put him in your all-stars, and he was... He was certainly right there for me as well. RJ Barrett is really up and down. Um, they, they are getting, as you mentioned, some some good points off the off the bench from Emmanuel Quigley. So the the scoring does run pretty dry after those guys. So I, I can certainly see the reason to bring in a Derek Rose to, to give him that scoring punch off the bench. My only concern would be, and, and as you mentioned there, that doesn't come at the expense of some of these young guys. You mentioned uh, Frank Nilakina there, who he's not really in the rotation at the moment. Yes, he's more of a defensive player, so you think he would really suit the way that Thibodeau likes to play. So it's been a bit of a surprise that he hasn't played too many minutes. The other one is Kevin Knox, who was a high draft pick. He's been barely sighted as well. So would you prefer that the minutes went to those two guys and maybe you do miss out on that playoff spot? Or are you prepared? Are you happy for the Knicks to sort of... They didn't give up too much. Dennis Smith Jr. wasn't really playing for them. And a, and a, and a second-round pick from Charlotte's probably going to fall somewhere in the 40 range maybe. So it's not a huge amount to give up to get a player of Derrick Rose's calibre. But would you prefer that they did keep uh, feeding the minutes into these younger guys? Or would you prefer that they did sort of push the chips in a little bit and go for that for that playoff run, given it's been so long since the, since the Knicks have played in the playoffs? Would, would you think that the, the Knicks fans would be happy for them to go for the playoffs, Caddy, or would you pref- do you think they'd prefer that they pump some of the minutes into these younger guys? Oh, I, think, I think it's all about finding the right balance. And if these young players are good enough to kind of get them there, then you'd, you'd like to think that they can really um, get behind them to try and do that. But, you know, they're bringing some veteran help, you know, like Derek Rose. They weren't getting anything at all out of Dennis Smith Jr. So Derek Rose will at least you know, give them some scoring punch. You know, we're not seeing a lot of Austin Rivers at the moment. He was the guy that started the season, you know, shooting the ball pretty well, but he's fallen out of the, the rotation as well. It he, just he's the very... one, sorry, cut you off. He's the one that, yeah, did, did was getting some minutes at the start of the year. Now Derek Rose has come in. He's not getting any. So they're probably going to look to flip him. How much you get for him is obviously the story. They're not going to get a hell of a lot for him. So maybe a late second rounder. So he, he's probably the one that will move on as a result of this trade. Yeah, it just feels it just felt a little bit very nixy, I suppose, for me. You know, bringing in another sort of aging former superstar, and not for the first time, this is the second time they've brought him across. So, you know, they added Taj Gibson earlier in the season, who, who looked to be fair isn't playing, um, but you know, another veteran guy to come in. Um, obviously, they made all those unusual signings uh, a summer ago with Bobby Portis and, and obviously Julius Randall, who's obviously been able to uh, earn his paycheck this season. But you just, yeah, you just hope they just don't fall into the old Knicks trap of uh, of playing these sort of more washed up guys or um, you know journeymen, if you like, rather than you know investing the time into the young players. You know we're seeing a lot of minutes already for Reggie Bullock. 
Um, Alec, Alec Burks is on this team. So, you know, they've got a lot of these guys that have been around and you just hope, you know, I'd like to see some more, you know, more play from Obi Toppin and Frank Nilakina than, you know, putting more time into, you know, guys like Rivers and Burks and potentially Derek Rose. But I think, you know, they're, they're borderline a, a playoff team, so why not have a crack? And with the hope that there could be fans back in the garden by the time the playoffs roll around. Yeah, it certainly would be good to see some playoff basketball at Madison Square Garden. It's been a long time. I agree there. We have seen in the past that the Knicks have sort of gone gone the route of, you know, going for those older guys. And But there was hope under this new regime that they wouldn't do that. And they didn't do that in the offseason. So hopefully that they do continue to go down the youth pass. And this, and this is just sort of a one-off trade to, to get a guy in that maybe could sort of push him to, to, to go for that playoff spot. We'll now get into a bit of fantasy talk. We've had a couple of requests to talk some fantasy. Myself and Caddy are in a fantasy league together, and we, we really love our fantasy basketball. We won't talk at all about our teams because that's the most boring thing on the planet. But what we will do is talk about the biggest bust and, and the biggest steal so far in, in the season. Who did you have as your bust so far, Caddy? Oh, look at this one. This is a guy we've spoken about already this year. And, you know, look, his numbers that he puts up when he plays are, are great, you know, and he's been sort of a, a fantasy stud uh, for a number of years. And, and this guy from the Minnesota Timberwolves, Carl Anthony Towns, got drafted fourth in our league again uh, this year. And, and just for the output, current output that we've seen from Towns, he's only played the six games for the season. Um, albeit his stats are, you know, are lining up pretty well. But for that, for that franchise, whoever's gone in and drafted him at number four, so many good players left on the board like Luka Doncic and Nikola Jokic, Steph Curry, Lillard. They're the four blokes that went straight after him in our draft. You know, that, that, that's a season killer. So for me, he'd be the biggest bust uh, from that point of view. Yeah, no doubt he has been a bit of a bust. But as you said there, there's been some extenuating circumstances that, that would have contributed to that. For me, I had uh, Russell Westbrook. Again, we've spoken about him in the past. His average draft position on the Yahoo Fantasy Basketball was 21.4. Now, you look at his numbers and you think they're not too bad at almost 20 points a game, nine rebounds and almost nine assists. But he's given you nothing else. He doesn't give you much in the steals or blocks or threes department. He's turning the ball over at almost five a game, which kills you in that category. Shooting 41% from the field and 65% from free throws. So that's obviously a big minus in both of those categories, given he does take a lot of field goal, uh, a lot of shots during the game. Also, Ben Simmons, whose average, average draft pick was 25.8 in Yahoo. He's putting up Pretty pedestrian numbers for that sort of draft pick at 14, 14 points a game, seven and a half rebounds and eight assists. He gives you some steals, but uh, his turnovers are okay, but he's only shooting 55. He does shoot 55% from the field, but only 63% from the from the free throw line. So those two there, I thought for me, were a bit of a bust. Yeah, look, Simmons is a, a tough one. Like I, I got sucked into taking him early in the second round in, in that draft, and I've been lucky enough to trade him on since. But look, he does give you nothing from the free throw line. His three point shooting is a non event. So you are relying on him to be able to really almost be putting up triple double numbers. The, the points are down this year. He's just not scoring as much as you know I'd like to think he should be. And again, his assist and rebound numbers probably haven't been where they are have been in previous years. And you now he really needs to be up to that 18, 10, 10. Uh, to get value at, at a selection like that. Yeah, no doubt. The other one for me was DeAndre Ayton, whose average draft position was 21.4. Now, he's having an okay year, and Phoenix are obviously playing some good basketball, but he's only averaging 14 points a game, 12 rebounds, which is good, 1.9 assists is okay, but only 1.1 blocks. So his blocks are down on last year. His points are down by four points a game. So to be only averaging 14 points a game when you're getting drafted that high in the draft, that, that, that's a real killer for your team there. In the biggest steal department, Ben, who did you have? I've gone for Nikola Vukovic, who you put in your all-star team a couple of weeks back. 
he's a guy that's just putting up, you know, extraordinary numbers for the Orlando Magic this year. In a nine-category Yahoo setting, he's ranked number two um, in the league. He's averaging 24 points, 11.5 rebounds, and a three and a half assists. And he's just been going on an absolute tear uh, the last few games, like the one he's just played yesterday in Sacramento. He's, he's hit six three-pointers. He's had 42 points, the nine boards, the two steals, you know, 17 from 22 from the field. So a guy shooting 77%, dropping 42 points for you. The Orlando Magic have had, you know, a lot of issues within their roster. So many injuries. They're missing currently missing Evan Fournier. Um, we know about the tragedy of Marco Fultz blowing his knee out. Cole Anthony, who sort of even come in and, and played those backup point guard minutes. He's missed the past few games. And Aaron Gordon, the great white hope, really, is, it hasn't been playing the last um, seven or eight games either. So the opportunity has been there for, for the big Vooch to to come in and step up. And he's a, look, he's a fan favourite of, of most uh, fantasy fantasy teams that have ever owned him. In our in our league, we had 16 teams and he went in the seventh pick of the second round. So that's the 23rd overall selection. So that's great value, I would have thought, at that pick. Yeah, certainly is. He's one of those players that, that does sort of slip every year for, for some unknown reason. I don't know what, what the reason is because, as I said, he is, he is a favourite of whoever drafts him because he puts up numbers um, in the points, rebounds, and three points as well. So, yeah, he, he's a great player to draft and has certainly um, outlived his draft position. The guy I went for was Mike Conley. Um, his average draft position in Yahoo was 95. To turn my own horn, Caddy, I got him at pick 111. Um, and he's been fantastic. He's averaging 16.5 points a game, 3.7 rebounds, 5.8 assists, 1.4 steals, which is, which is huge, at only two turnovers, 2.8 threes a game. Um, shooting only 45% from the field, but that that's okay. He's, and he's shooting 81% from the free throw line. So he doesn't really kill you in any in any category there, but hits on a lot of categories. And he obviously slipped in the draft because he had a bit of a disappointing year last year in his first year with Utah. But he's, he's certainly come back with a vengeance. He's leading the league in plus minus. So he's having a great year on the court for Utah. And, and he's been a bit of a steal in the draft, uh, certainly for me to get him to pick 111. But to be, for the average draft position to be 95 and, and to put up those sort of numbers has been really good. The other one I wanted to mention was Lamelo Ball. Um, his average draft position was 96.5. He's averaging 14.6, uh, six rebounds and six assists. And obviously his numbers are starting to trend up. So you'd imagine that over the remainder of the season, he's going to well and truly outlive his, his draft position. And uh, Jalen Brown and Christian Wood, who who both average draft position were 45, uh, they certainly out, uh, outshone that draft position. Yeah, look, and it's, you know, like any draft, you go in there full of expectation and you know, things things happen on draft night. I'm looking at our draft order now and the 32nd pick of the whole draft was um, Nurkic from Portland. I mean, that's just an absolute disaster. So, you know, these things can happen. The injuries just absolutely kill you and... And this year, more than ever, it's been such an unusual, not only an NBA in real life situation, but from a fantasy point of view, trying to manage, particularly earlier in the season, the, the COVID health and protocols and the postponed games. Um, it's really made you know the fantasy basketball season even more difficult than, than it normally is. But you know, there are opportunities as a result of that. You know, we see particularly we talk about the Memphis Grizzlies and missing, I think it was six games in a row, or all six games postponed because of the protocols, well, that's six games they're going to get back in the back end of the season. So you're looking at some of those players from a trade point of view from, from fantasy, well, there might be some really good opportunities to, um, to try and get your hands on a few of those guys that might have some additional games in the back end of the season. So, look, it, it's it, it's, a, it's a fun concept, um, competitive all the time, and a, a little bit of potluck, but also um, takes a lot of study and analysis to, to get it right. 
Yep, no doubt about that. And I'm and I'm looking forward to the back half of the year because I've got Bradley Beal sitting there and he's uh, he should have a really full book come the end of the season and hopefully they don't either A, trade him or B, uh, sit him for, for too many of those games. So we'll move on now to our Aussie of the Week segment. We, we skipped over this last week because we, we'd run a bit long, but this week we want to talk about the Boomer Squad, which was announced a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to select our 12-man roster, um, and then we'll talk about what we think our start, our closing five would be. But I'll just quickly run through the squad as it was announced a couple of weeks ago. So it's Deng Adel, Aaron Baines, Ryan Brokov, Xavier Cooks, uh, Mitch Creek, Matthew Dallavadova, Dante Exum, Josh Giddy, Chris Golding, Josh Green, Isaac Humphreys, Joe Ingalls, Nick Kay, Jock Landale, Mitch McCarron, Will McDowell-White, Will Magnay, Thon Maker, Paddy Mills, Brock Modem, Mitch Norton, Duop Reith, Ben Simmons, and Matisse Thibel. And just on Thibel, I, did you have any idea, Ben, that he was available to be selected for the Boomers? Yeah, there was some talk around the World Cup in 2019 when I think Thibel was only a rookie at that stage at Philadelphia. And um, there was that the murmurings around um, a, a period of time where he grew up in Australia and essentially had qualified to play as a dual national. Not dissimilar to Kyrie Irving when there was some scuttlebutt around that he had the opportunity to choose between being a, a USA uh, national player or an Australian boomer. So, yeah, Thibel, um is eligible and, and it's interesting to see that um, he's obviously committed to to putting his eggs in with the Boomers and, and has been selected in this 24-man squad. Yeah, I think maybe unlike Corey Irving, he probably wasn't going to get that invitation <laughs> for Team USA, so he probably did have to, to go his way uh, into the Boomers' path if he wanted to play some Olymp- Olympic basketball. Uh, who did you settle on for your 12-man roster, Caddy? Yeah, look, it's really interesting, the Boomers going into the 2021 Olympics. I mean, if this um, Olympics had, had gone in uh, last year that was scheduled to, I think I would have had a different 12. Obviously, you would have included Andrew Bogut straight up. He would have been a part of this team. And, and even a guy like Matthew Dallavadova, I'm just not sure whether he's going to be right to go uh, for the Olympics. He's obviously, you know, as, as recently as last week, talking around possible retirement due to a concussion he picked up at, at practice. So whether he's going to be even putting his hands, putting his hand up to be eligible to play, or even if he does, whether he's going to fit into this lineup, it's really become a, a cross-generational team. This one we've had the the last few Olympics and World Cups where there was a really core cool group of you know those veteran players led by obviously Paddy Mills and Andrew Bogut and Joe Ingles. But we're now hopefully for the first time seeing Ben Simmons be a part of this this team, and also Josh Green and a few of the other really young up-and-coming players. Dante Exum's another guy that was really keen to be a part of the Boomers and had that really unfortunate injury playing in a qualifying game a few years back that really, you know, has really ruined his NBA career in a sense. So we are at a bit of a generational handover. So how this team comes together will be quite interesting. So they're, they're, it's a quite deep, obviously, squad to choose from. So I'll run through my 12 at the moment. So I've got, as an absolute top four lock, I've got Ben Simmons, Paddy Mills, Joe Ingles and Aaron Baines. I've then grouped up at the next um, run of players is Jock Landale, Nick Kay, Ryan Brokoff, Josh Green, and Matisse Thibel. Uh, then that's nine. And then I've gone into Dante Exum. I'm going to bring in Josh Giddy as a young player to come in and, and get some experience as basically the water boy almost in this team. And who knows if his um, career trajectory continues, he might be a, you know a really handy, youthful player to have on the, on the list. Now, my last selection is going to come down to uh, two guys. Now, one guy is in the squad and one guy is not in the squad, and I'll go through that in a second. So I've got the Fon Maker as potentially the 12th guy, and the guy that I've got maybe coming from outside the squad is Perth Wildcats' own Bryce Cotton, who is in the process of trying to get his um, dual nationality, which would then make him eligible 
for the Australian Boomers. And if that does happen, I would almost be inclined to bring him into this lineup as well, just for some really extra offensive punch. Because as we saw in the World Cup, when things got tight, you know, we I thought we did just lack, lack a little bit more offense. You know, some real pure score scoring and playmaking. And I think a guy like Cotton, he's got that experience all around the world can come in and deliver that. So the big omission for me was Dolliver Dover. I haven't selected him just based on the injury history, but I think the rest of the, most of those guys would almost um, hopefully pick themselves. How did you end up? Yeah, I sort of broke mine down into guards, wings and bigs. So the way I ended up was I did pick Dally. I know he's got those those concerns around the concussion, but he's, he's as tough as an old pair of boots. So I'm expecting him to get up. So I've gone, my guards, I've gone Dally. Paddy Mills, which will be his fourth Olympics, would which would be an outstanding achievement. Dante Exum, and I've gone for the uh, for the hotel the hometown pick of uh, Chris Golding. So, I think you you need as many shooters as you can in international basketball. It's a shorter three point line than you get in the NBA, and you need to try and create as much space as possible because uh, you do see in international basketball the lane can get clogged. We've seen Giannis not struggle, but not being able to not be able to perform to his usual levels because they do crowd the lane on him. So I think. Getting Golding out there who can spread the floor will be really good for, for, for Ben Simmons. So moving on to the wins, obviously Ben Simmons picks himself. Joe Ingles, which will also be his fourth Olympic, so another outstanding achievement. Josh Green, the rookie from Dallas, goes in as well. Ryan Brokoff, another really good shooter that can spread the floor. Moving on to the bigs, I've gone with Aaron Baines, Jock Landale, and, and I settled on Brock Modem as well. He, he played in the last Olympics. He's a big, solid guy who can put some points on the board and sort of fill the lane as well. So I've gone with him, and that leaves one spot, and I was sort of tossing up between Matisse Thibel. You might probably lean towards Thibel because he doesn't give you much on the offensive end, but he is an elite wing defender, and given that you're going to come up against, hopefully, the Team USA at some stage, you're probably going to need someone to go on to, to their bevy of wings. So I'll probably lean towards him, but it was between Matisse Thibel and Mitch Creek for me. But as I said, I'll probably lean towards Thibel. It's interesting, the Bryce Cotton thing that you brought up there. If Bryce Cotton is available... I would probably substitute him for Dally, even though Dally's got so much experience with Team USA. He's not going to play a lot of basketball this year by the sounds of it. So to bring him in, probably a bit cold, probably wouldn't be the best scenario there. So if, if I can substitute Bryce Cotton for, for Dally, I would go down that path. What did you think about Chris Golding in particular, Ben? Yeah, look, you know, I love Chris Golding as a Melbourne fan as well, and his three-point shooting is obviously elite and, and I bring some real offensive punch. To the group, look, he, he played in the World Cup last year and, and, and played a serviceable role. I thought his defence in particular when he came on in the World Cup w- was really serviceable and he, he added some real energy out on the court. You know, down the stretch of games, they were sort of reluctant to sort of put him out there, which was, was sort of surprising because we were, as I said, lucky some real three-point shooting at the, the pointy end of a couple of these games. So, but Golding's an interesting one and, and you know, probably not too, too dissimilar to, you know, my selection in, in Nick Kay where he's not a big name in Australian basketball, but... He was um, really heavily relied on in last uh, in the World Cup from 2019. In the semi-final against Spain, he played 31 minutes. He scored 16 points, you know, and 11 rebounds. So he was a guy that they put out there on the floor. He can shoot the three ball. He's doing that over in Europe at the moment and, and having some success um, playing in Spain. So he's a guy that I, I would certainly consider putting into this squad for not only his, his rebounding and, and energy at the defensive end, but his also ability to, to step out and, and shoot the three as well, particularly if you're playing you know, looking for another big to put alongside Aaron Bain. So, look, the, the great thing about this discussion is that, you know, there are so many options that they can go with. And we talked about Thibel, you know, coming in almost as a defensive specialist. And you've got Brokoff almost just as a three-point specialist. So there are a few different ways they can go uh, with this team. But 
you know, how the how the uh, end of this NBA season pans out. That you know, we've got a lot of talent currently in the National Basketball League. So a few of these guys, like Isaac Humphries, might even put his hand up. He's having a good good season in the NBL. Uh, Xavier Cooks is another one. So you know, as I said, it's a real mix of um, the two generations and how they kind of put that together uh, for Brian Gorgian and his staff will be really, really interesting. Yeah, no doubt we've got a we've got a heap of NBA talent, which which is great and should give us a really good chance to to fight for a medal. What did you settle on as your closing five? Well, I think the four locks for me. I've got Ben Simmons, Paddy Mills, you know, in some sort of guard order with uh, Joe Ingles. So they're the three that primarily would be on the wings, and then Aaron Baines I'd have in the paint. So then I've got one spot left. So that's the where you're looking. Are you going to go, you know, all out offense, and, and it might be a guy like Brokoff who takes that fifth spot for the shooting. Or is it a Jock Landale who can come in and, and play, you know, really strong, heavy defence, crush the boards, spread out, shoot the three ball as well? Um, so for me, I'm going to sit with my love child, Jock Landale. I think he's got so much to offer, particularly in the international game. Um, I've really liked his development with the Boomers um, through the World Cup qualifying games or, and the exhibition games and then leading into the World Cup. So I've got really hope, high hopes for Landale as, a, as an international player in particular, and I think he can fit into that five um, reasonably well. Who did you land on? I landed on very similar to you. So, so Simmons and Mills and Ingles, just three ball handlers. You know, Mills and Ingles will space the floor as well. Aaron Baines, I think, is your automatic selection if, if you're going to play a, a traditional big. And I was the same. That that last position, you could go, you could go a multitude of ways. I ended up settling on Ryan Brokov just to space that floor as much as possible. So Mills, Ingles, Brokov, and Baines can all shoot the three, and then you got Simmons as well, who can obviously drive. So you want to uh, unclog the pain as much as possible. Jock Landau can certainly shoot the three, and I'm loving what he's doing for Melbourne United this year, being a United fan. But so I could certainly see the, you know, the reason you would go down that that avenue. But yeah, I, I did settle on Brokov just because I think having that that legitimate three ball sniper to to really keep the defense on us, it'll allow Simmons, who who we've spoken about, doesn't like having the ball in his hands too much towards the end of the game. But if you can space the floor as much as possible and open up open up that driving lanes, I think he, be, he can be really dangerous to either obviously drive and score himself or be able to kick out to the four shooters. And I think I think the boomers would be really tough to defend with the four shooters uh, spreading the floor for Simmons. Yeah, look, and Ben Simmons playing for the Boomers just in itself is so exciting. We haven't seen it happen as yet. We All things being equal and touch wood and touch across all your fingers and toes that he can get through the season fully fit and, and, and does declare that he will be part of this team. And, you know, he's, he says all the right things quite often, but you know, he just hasn't been able to deliver on that promise yet. So to see him wearing the green and gold and, and playing in that team, particularly with Paddy Mills and Joe Ingles and, and seeing how that mix um, works together, it's going to be fantastic to watch. I mean, the Boomers have already um, had a good start to this because they, they uh, FIBA have already had the Olympic draw and they've been drawn into um, Group B with only Nigeria at the moment. And there's going to be a couple of qualifiers to come into their group as well. So they've automatically avoided a couple of tough groups. In Group 1, you've got Iran, France, the USA and a qualifier. So it's quite a, a tough group. And then in Group C, you've got Argentina, Japan, Spain and a qualifier. So look, out of those three groups that were drawn, the boomers already have, have, have a bit of a head start with only Nigeria and then two other qualifying teams that will go through the qualifying tournaments in the lead-up. Um, and the Olympics in themselves, God only knows if they're going to take place and let's hope they do just so this Boomer squad does have that chance to, to compete for, a, for you know, this well, well sought after Olympic medal that we've been so close to for a number of years and just haven't quite um, been able to finish off. And I think, you know, with the experience of this team and the youth that's in there, I think they're well um, up to their ears to, to bring home a medal. 
And that's great news, that, that that group that we've been drawn into, because traditionally we do tend to draw a pretty tough group. So it's good to see for once that we do get a break. And as you said there, we've got to keep our fingers and toes and everything crossed that either Philly or Utah don't make it all the way to the NBA Finals because there's a very short turnaround between the NBA Finals and when the Olympics are supposed to be. So it would be pretty tough. I can't see Ben Simmons backing up for the Olympics after if he, may, if he played the NBA Finals. Joe Ingles probably would just because he loves playing for the Boomers, but you'd reckon Simmons would probably hit the eject button at that stage. So fingers crossed that Philly, for that sake, don't make it all the way to the NBA Finals. So we're going to call it there. Once again, thank you to everybody who's downloading the podcast and who's giving us a rating. If you haven't, we, we implore you to do that. Please do that. Uh, jump on our Apple iTunes, five-star review, uh, and, yeah, that would be fantastic. It would help us spread the spread the news as much as possible. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you next week.